Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight. Turn with me to Second Chronicles. Chronicles chapter number 29. Second Chronicles chapter number 29. Now I want to speak to you tonight on this subject. Hezekiah's prescription for revival. Hezekiah's prescription for revival. I uh, enjoy preaching... Um, uh, textual expository style messages because I am uh, I'm not as smart as uh, some preachers. I I hear some of these young guys do these manuscript manuscript sermons, and I know you use manuscript style, and I'm not that smart. Uh, I'm just kind of boring. I'm just it, to me it's kind of like reading a story. But you guys do it well, and 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 it's a blessing. But I have to just kind of immerse myself into the into the story and then allow the text to kind of lay out the the message and then deliver it that way and then it's real to me and I want it so I I remember years ago I was here I listening to Dr. A.B. Henderson preach a message and and uh, man well he just tore uh, three or four verses up he just I mean, just got so much out of it. And I said, Dr. Henderson, where in the world did you get all that? He said, it's there, son. You just got to look for it. And so, I, you know what? I went back home. I was about 38 or so at the time. And I just said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna put my stuff in every passage I read. I'm going to try to get right into the text. I'm going to try to step right into the setting uh, of what's going on there and just feel what's going on around me and and pick it up and... And so it has kind of revolutionized my preaching. I'm a very simple guy. I I don't claim to be a scholar. Uh, in fact, uh, I kind of avoid being a scholar because I think the scholars I know are kind of dry. <laughs> and and uh, I just want to preach, be faithful to preach God's Word. And that's what I want to do tonight. And I'm trusting that uh, it'll find a place of lodging in your heart. And I... I uh, took the moment to pray there myself and say this, Lord, I'm doing the preaching, but I sure do need to hear from you in my own heart tonight. And so I ask you to do that for me. Let's stand together, could you? And if you found uh, Second Chronicles chapter number uh, 29, and I'm just going to read uh, a few verses, very few verses. We're going to cover a lot of verses, but I want to read just a few to set uh, the stage, the setting, please, uh, for the message tonight. Hez, uh, Hezekiah, verse uh, chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. <clears throat> and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. I think when we see the word repaired, it has a real uh, synonymous uh, message of revival. Repairing our hearts, renewing our commitment, Finding out what's missing in our in our hearts and our lives. You know what? I can I say this to you tonight. Uh, and and I I know I'm not a prophet or the son of one, but let me just say that I've been doing this a long time. This is year number fifty one of preaching the gospel. I know when I'm in a good church. I'm in a good church tonight. I know that. I know there's some really good people here. That really loved God. Can I have an amen on that? Really loved the Savior. But here's what I believe tonight. I believe tonight that even good churches can become better churches. That, that we, if we will allow God just to, to speak to our hearts, that we can find areas in each of our lives that could be better in our service for the Lord. And that I prayed a moment ago. I said, Lord, uh, everything that happens tonight, I pray it will make me better as a servant of yours. That I'll, I'll find in this message things I need to do uh, to correct my own life and make it count even more uh, for the cause of Christ. So uh, let's pray together and we'll look at the message God 
has laid on my heart. Father, I pray tonight uh, for these dear people. As I said a moment ago, I, I think I know good churches when I'm in one. Uh, I sense that tonight. This is a good church, has a good spirit, is doing a good work. And I thank you for that. And, but, Father, uh, the very best of churches, uh, the very best Christian can be even better. And we can continue to grow in grace. And so tonight I ask that you would anoint uh, this preacher to deliver your word. And that you would give ears to hear and a heart to receive tonight to each and every one who listens into the message. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Seated. Our text describes uh, for us here the beginning of the reign of a young king who was 25 years old, a king named Hezekiah. Now, he has escaped what I call the utter corruption of his father, Ahaz, who is an absolute worthless king. And the Bible describes his worthlessness in the 28th chapter. If you look at verse 22, it says he trespassed yet more against the Lord. And so the longer he reigned, the more wicked uh, he got. In verse 23, it says that he worshiped the gods of Syria. In uh, verse number 24, it says that he uh, gathered together the vessels out of the house of God, the instruments, primarily the instruments upon which the blood was received and, and uh, the, the altar upon which it was displayed. He took those uh, instruments and he uh, destroyed them. He cut them, the Bible says, into pieces. And he shut up the door of the house of God. I mean, he literally uh, closed the church house. He closed up the place where worship was made. He said, no more uh, will there be worship to God. No more uh, will there be blood sacrifices here. And, and so he closed it up. Now, the Bible says that in verse 25, he provoked the Lord uh, God of his fathers. He provoked him to anger. And then the Bible says he dies. And here's an interesting thought. The Bible says that he is such a wicked king that even though he was allowed to be buried in Jerusalem, he was not permitted to be buried in the sepulchers of his fathers. Uh, he, he was kept back from uh, the sepulchers of the kings because of his wickedness. Now, when you think about this for just a moment, uh, if a young man, uh, 25 years old, has been brought up under a king like that, a father like that, I, I mean, the chances are pretty uh, strong that that young man is going to be a wicked king himself. Would that not be real? And uh, and listen, I uh, I want to say this to you tonight that uh, that as we look at the life of Hezekiah, uh, it was because the Bible says of his his uh, relationship and looking back at his grandfather David uh, that he makes the decision to do that which is good and right and truth uh, for the cause of Christ. And so he comes on the scene, he's only 25 years old, and immediately he begins to do some things to correct uh, the wickedness in the land. The Bible says in the first year and in the first month of that year uh, that he begins to do some things to make things right in the house of God. Now, I want you to look up here and listen very, very carefully to me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not endorsing anything that our uh, president uh, is doing today. I'm not uh, trying to be political in any way. But I know that when they were inaugurated, the president and the vice president, uh, that immediately they set out to have an agenda called the first 100 days. Now, that's common. You all know that. Amen. It's common among uh, each administration to have kind of signal what your priorities will be uh, during those first 100 days. I am glad that our president has reversed the Johnson Amendment that allows uh, freedom for us to speak up. Uh, and uh, and that he has taken money away from abortion. Uh, I, I'm thankful for all of that. But those were things he promised when he ran uh, to be president, and those were things that he signaled that would be part of his first 
100 days uh, in office. Uh, Vice President Pence, I don't know uh, how much you know about him. He was our governor in Indiana, so I know a lot about him. He was a good governor and a righteous governor. And uh, when he took his oath uh, at the inauguration, I don't know if you're aware of this, he had his thumb... Uh, on the passage in Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14 on the Reagan Bible. And he, as he took his oath, he said he remembered in his own mind those words. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And so they had an agenda and much of that was to provide for religious freedom in America. And to that extent, I'm thankful for what has been accomplished. Now, I want to just say this, that as Hezekiah comes on, he has an agenda and his first item on that agenda within the first month of his reign is to get things right again in the house of God. And he calls for the house of God uh, to be repaired. Now, I want to say to you that in order to repair the things that need to be repaired, we must acknowledge the need for those things to be repaired. Amen? We must... No, I'm not getting much help tonight. I'm saying we must acknowledge that there's sin in our life. Amen? We cannot get it corrected if we do not acknowledge that uh, that we have it. And so he begins to speak out, and I'm going to show you four thoughts tonight out of these chapters, chapter 29, 30, and 31. I want to just show you four thoughts that he gives. I call them Hezekiah's prescription for revival. The first thought we find right here in chapter number 29 and verse 5. And the first prescription that he gives for revival is that he calls the people to sanctification. He calls them to be sanctified. Now, the word sanctified, look up here just a minute. That means to be set apart, to be set apart, to be dedicated unto, uh, to be loyal to. Now, look at verse 5. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify or set apart the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. And here's the reason why. Look now. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and they've turned their backs and they've shut up the door of the porch and have put out the lamps and have not burned the incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel, wherefore the wrath of the Lord uh, was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, uh, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. And so he says to them, the first thing you need to do is you need to sanctify yourselves unto the Lord. Now, let me just talk about this thought about sanctification. First of all, I know from the Bible and by the way, there's a great movement or, or re, reoccurrence of Calvinism all over this country right now. A lot of the young preachers, and they fail to understand that God, yes, is a sovereign God, uh, but God, uh, His desire is that none perish, but that all come to repentance. Amen? And so God calls us to salvation. Now, I'll tell you the verses that settled that for me are 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, one of which says this, that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and then uh, we must believe uh, the truth. And so the Spirit of God sanctifies us or calls us and sets us apart, and then when we believe the truth, we become part of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're born into His family. That's the beginning process of sanctification. We're taken out of the world 
and we are placed into Christ. And by the way, let me tell you, he sanctifies us in the local New Testament church. This is where he places us. Can I say this tonight? That's why this church is so very important. Amen? Because this is where God brings us and places us. He calls us out of the world and puts us into his church. And so that's the beginning process of sanctification. So we're called out of the world. That's why the very word church uh, is ecclesia. It is called out. We are called out and assembled together because we have been wooed by the Spirit of God uh, to become children of God. Now, that ought to cause even a dead old Baptist to say amen. Eh? Come on tonight. God has uh, wooed us by His Spirit. I'm grateful that He called me unto Himself and that He saved me and that I'm placed into the local New Testament church and I serve Him there. I mean, I don't know about you, that blesses my heart tonight. Amen? And so, uh, I'm thankful to be in that place. But let me just say to you, so many of us have been have had that initial sanctification in our life. But I believe there's a progressive sanctification uh, that God expects in our life. And that is that we are never to stop trying to be like Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, here, here's what I'm saying to you tonight. The truth of the matter is, and, and I can't prove what your deal might be in your heart tonight. I, I read something in a science magazine the other day, and they actually say that all of our speech, all of our thoughts are, are, are recorded. I mean, the speech goes out into the atmosphere, but it never dissipates, and that our thoughts are recorded in the cortex of our mind, and that, that someday they believe they'll actually be able uh, to read those things. I mean, that's scary. Amen. And and so how would you like it if the next evangelist that comes in has this super spiritual thought scooper? Amen. And he can just come in. <laughs> think about this. And he can, oh, sister. And she's already, ah, and just come by and scoop up what's on the mind and find out what you're thinking. And you know, I'd love that as an evangelist because I just love to know. I see people looking at me, and I I know sometimes it's like, what are they? What does this fat guy think he's doing here? You know, <laughs> you know, what's this clown think? I'd love, but listen, God already knows how to scoop up your thoughts. God already knows how to read the heart. In fact, the Bible says He looks down upon us. He beholds the good. Hey, come on, and the evil. And he knows what's in our heart tonight. Here's the problem I see today. We've learned how to play Christianity. We've learned how to play church. We've learned how to come into the house of God and hear the preaching and ignore as much of it as we can. Amen. And maybe go home and live the same way we've been living, knowing that there are deficiencies in our life. But God said, listen. Through Hezekiah, he said, if we're going to get the house of God back where it ought to be, we have got to set ourselves aside. We have got to sanctify ourselves. Now, listen, I want to, I'm going to end up tonight on the issue of separation. But let me help you with this. Sanctification is a matter of being set apart unto God. Amen. And then when we get to separation at the end of the message tonight, I want you to remember it is a matter of being separated from the world. And here's the problem I, I see is that we've got those sometimes mixed up. Our kids go off to youth camp and they come back and they've been emotionally stirred. And they may have even been, we were talking about this yesterday, convinced that what they're doing is wrong. But they have never had a conversion in the heart. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about, listen, you and I who are saved need to every day have conversion in our heart. Conversion in that it, that our minds are changed and that we're moving from what we know is wrong and to what we know is right. Is anybody getting this tonight? And, and so, and so, we, we set ourselves aside under the Lord. So I watch this. I, I've done a lot of youth camps in my day. And these kids, they, 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 they hear this strong preaching and they get really emotional. And so, uh, on Sunday night, we always have 
teen night, and the teens tell about their camp experience. You know what I'm talking about. And they come across this way, and they stand up here, and they get a little emotionally. They say, God really touched my heart, and I've made this decision and that decision. And, and I'm not all of them, but a large percentage of them, by the time they hit the floor, they've already gone back to what they said they had forsaken at camp because they've been told, that, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that. And hear me tonight, there are some don't do these things in our Christian world. There are some things we must forsake to be a Christian and to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, you can never be what you ought to be by just forsaking things. You have got to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me help you with that. So my wife and I, June the 15th, just celebrated 50 years of marriage. You heard me right. And I know I only look 19, but anyhow, it's, it's, it's true. 50 years of marriage. Now, we met in a very strange way. I, I was already working in a church at age 17. The pastor left. I ended up kind of carrying the load. I was the preacher, youth director, music director, janitor, mowed the yard. I mean, that's what I did. Well, they finally had a, an evangelist come. And the evangelist came and kind of became the interim pastor. And, and uh, he said to me, Brother Turner, he said, uh, I'm really impressed with your commitment at 17. And, and he said, I, I know God's going to use you. He said, do you, have a, do you have a girlfriend? And I said, well, I thought that was a good thought he had there, 17. I, I wanted a girlfriend. I mean, it's a good thing, isn't it, brother? Come on. Look at her and say yes. Yes. Amen. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, his face is as red as that carpet uh, right now. Why don't we just stand up and I'll marry you all right now. Come on. Just, ah. All right. So, he, so here's what. Now, this is. Are you all listening to me tonight? So he takes me over. To this house. And he said, uh, let's go in here. I want to introduce you to somebody. He knocks on the door and Mrs. Metcalf comes to the door. And he said, Mrs. Metcalf, I want you to meet Bruce Turner. He's a young man working over at First Baptist Church in Brookville, Indiana. And uh, he's 17 and God's called him to preach. And he's going to be a good preacher, I know. And he needs himself a good woman. And I... That's what he said. <laughs> Hang on, sister. It gets better. It gets better. He said, and I think that good woman is your daughter, Reva. Well, I didn't know he was going to do that. I'm looking for a place to crawl under a rock. <laughs> Amen. Well, Reva, Reva's not here. She's at work right now. But y'all can come in. And, and I'll never forget this. She made us biscuits and... and uh, and, and gravy and, and fried pork. Oh my goodness, it was so good. In fact, I was wanting to propose to her. Amen. It was that good, but amen. So, yeah, isn't it funny how God does things? So the next Sunday, we're baptizing Reva's niece. And I meet Reva for the first time. She walked through the back door. I knew immediately who she was. I don't know how I knew immediately who she was. And I knew immediately, now listen, where are the young people at tonight? Where, where are you all at? Don't listen to anything I'm saying right now. Okay, come on, right here. Like all right, hold on. I knew immediately she was going to be my wife. I would not advise that kind of, uh, pastor, don't give that kind of counsel. Amen? Okay, so I'm just telling you how crazy I was. All right, but anyhow, I knew it. I went home. I said, Mom, 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 listen. I met my future wife tonight. My mom said, whoa, whoa, slow down here just a little bit. I said, no, I'm not going to do anything crazy, but I know I met my wife tonight. I know it. I know it in my heart. Now, you can call it love at first sight, or you can just say God had arranged something. I believe it was God had arranged something. Now, listen, we began to court and... Ten months later, we were married. Now, I have to tell you, I was a pretty good hunk back in those days. 
you don't seem convinced. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> I think I'm more than a hunk right now, brother. <laughs> I had a nice preacher. Are you embarrassed at what your people are saying to me? <laughs> I had a 1964 Chevelle Super Sport with glass packs. Anybody know what that would have been like? I'm telling you, it was something else. And boy, I drive down that big, long, metropolitan street of Liberty, Indiana, population of 1,700. I think the street maybe had three blocks. <laughs> and I'd, I'd let off that accelerator, and those old glass packs would go pop, 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 and the girls would look... I thought they were looking at me. I found out later it was my car. Come on now. You know. I'm saying all that to say this. When I married my wife, I'll never forget that day. And I'll never forget. I was so nervous. I mean, I told you I'm an introvert. And I, I, I am. And I was standing there. And, and Brother Charlie, the preacher, he was doing the wedding. And I'm, I'm as nervous as a cat on a tin roof. And, and I got so excited waiting on him to say the word I do, I just said, I do. <laughs> he said, not yet. <laughs> and, and then he finally got to the I do, and I said, I do. And and my wife had had them recorded. You remember those old, those old big old round tapes, tape, reel-to-reel tapes? We've got one of those, and... And it's got our wedding on it. And you can hear me. I do. I do. You know, my wife reminds me, you, you couldn't wait to get me. Now, listen, listen to this. So when I married my wife, I became sanctified under her. Are you getting this picture? She was my heart and my life. That's why Jesus said and the, the scriptures tell us that they twain become what? One flesh. And so I didn't go back to my hometown after that anymore and cruise the street and see if I could see one of the old girls that I wanted to date or tried to date. It was about the extent of it trying. But anyhow, uh, you know, I didn't go back and do that again. You know why? Because I had no heart for those young ladies anymore. My heart, my heart, my heart had been given to Reba Metcalf. And she and I became one flesh. And we just celebrated 50 years. And I can tell you, I have never been disloyal to her. I have never been unfaithful to her. I love her with all of my heart. I did all that I could to show her on our 50th that she was still my sweetheart. And I'm saying to you tonight, that's the kind of sanctification we need toward God. We need to love Him with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. He needs to be all in all to us. He can't just be somewhere on a list in our life. He needs to be the whole list. Amen. He needs to be everything to us. And I fear there are people trying to do the right things and not go out and live in sin. And they're doing their best to avoid bad things. But they don't have an intimate walk with God. And we've been talking about that, haven't we? Prayer. Bible study. Faithfulness to the church house where we can be taught how to walk with God. And so he said, sanctify yourselves. I'm saying tonight... That there are many of us, listen, now don't get mad at me, okay? There are many of us, we have not really loved God with all our heart. Mm-hmm. We have an affection toward Him. We, you can say, Lord, you know I love you like, like Peter did. But, but the truth is, He wants to know, do you love Him with all of your heart? Are you willing to be faithful? Listen, are you willing to be faithful to His church? Are you willing to open up your billfold and give your tithe? You say, there it is twice already in this meeting. But God says it's a proof of your love. If you're stealing from God, you don't love God. If you'll go out and spend $5 for a Starbucks coffee and steal your tithe on Sunday, something is wrong with where your affections lie. Are you hearing me? And I'm not busting Starbucks. I can't stand the stuff. But if you want to drink it and pay twice the price for it, I just love that dollar coffee at McDonald's. Amen. 
Are you hearing me tonight? Some of us need to just say to God tonight, Preacher, I think the way you started the service was so appropriate tonight. Some of us just need to say, Lord, I want to enter into a circle with you tonight. And I want you to do a major, major evaluation of my heart. And while the preacher is preaching, I want you to bring to my mind everything that's not where it ought to be. Not where it's ought to be. I was praying and God spoke to my heart tonight, even before the service, and said something to me that I need to be careful about. You say, is it women? No. I I just know I sit and watch too much news sometimes when I could be studying and writing. And I said, Lord, help me to have a victory over that. Just, you know, you get bored sometimes when you're alone. And and I'll turn on the news and spend too much time. And so I asked the Lord to help me with that tonight. But do you know God wants to evaluate your heart tonight? And He's saying to you, listen, leave those things that are not right in your heart. But the most important thing is to have an intimate walk with the Heavenly Father. To love Him with all your heart and with all your might. Let's go on. Number two. He said, sanctify yourself. He said, the reason is that God has brought judgment on us because we have not done that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Number two. He calls them to reconciliation. The first word was sanctification. The second word is reconciliation. Go to chapter 29 now. And all the way down to verse number 19. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, have we prepared and sanctified, we've set them apart. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up um, and went up to the house of the Lord, and they brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Now let's look at this. So they killed the bullocks. And the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Drop down to verse 24. And the priests killed them and they made reconciliation uh, with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that burnt offering and that sin offering should be made for Israel. You see... Uh, in the reign before Hezekiah, Ahaz has stopped all of the blood sacrifice. He has stopped all of the offering of the blood. He has started preaching a false doctrine and gods of the world. Now, I want to tell you something tonight. You may think that I'm a little bit... Uh, over the edge on this statement, but I'm just telling you all across this country, our churches are looking for worldly methodology to build the church. They're looking for ways uh, to appeal to people and bring them in. And in doing so, listen to me, they're not using the Bible doctrine of hell, and they're not using the word sin. I, I listened to some young guys debate the other day on a thread, and they said, listen, I just don't see the necessity of talking about hell when you're trying to bring people to Christ. Why do you want to scare them, he said. And I thought to myself, because hell is real, and we want to keep them from going there. Amen. Amen. Do you know, again, I I don't want to be over the edge here, but it's it's true. We don't preach the blood like we used to preach the blood. But I want to tell you tonight, my dear friend, Hezekiah said, let's separate ourselves to the Lord, sanctification. And he said, then let's reinstate reconciliation. Reconciliation is applying the blood to bring those that have been separated from God back to God. Amen? To bring them back to God. I want to just say this to you tonight, and I'll move on as quickly as I can. This idea that we don't need to preach the blood is absolute heresy. The Bible says, listen to me, if you know it, you can say it with me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
The blood can be tracked right back to Genesis chapter 3. And it goes, it flows like a river all the way through the Word of God. And, and in the Old Testament, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, it had to be an annual offering to cover that sin for a year. But I'm glad to tell you that when Jesus went to the cross and He died on the cross for us, He said, it is finished. And He sat down and forever He sat down because... He had done what needed to be done and the blood didn't just cover us for a sin, but we have forgiveness forever and ever and ever because of what Jesus did on the cross. And these young guys want to talk about coming into the church and we won't talk about hell and we won't talk about heaven and we won't talk about the blood. Oh, my friend, the message of the church shall always be without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sin. Amen. If you're saved tonight and a member of this church, you are so because Jesus gave his all for you. Amen. On the cross. Sanctification. Reconciliation. Being brought back to God because we were separated through sin. And then in chapter 30 in verse 1, I want you to see the thought of continuation. Continuation. I won't spend much time there because I think I handled it pretty well yesterday. But look in chapter 30 and verse 1. Continuation in the house of God. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover under the Lord God of Israel. I think this is often awesome. He, the king, says, I want letters to be written. You see, the king couldn't text everybody. He couldn't email everybody. There wasn't a post office that was running mail to everybody in Ephraim and Manasseh. So he gets up and he makes a a proclamation. I mean, it would be a proclamation something like this in the days of early America when they wanted everybody in the, in, in the, in the village to hear. Uh, the crier would get up and they'd ring the bell and then they'd say, hear ye, hear ye. And the king gets up and he said, listen, I want letters to be sent to Manasseh and Ephraim. I want everybody to hear what I'm saying. You are expected because we are God's people. You are expected to come to God's house. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? said, you ought to come to the house of God. I don't make any apology for saying this. If you're a saved child of God, a member of this local New Testament church, you owe everything to this church. Amen. You ought to be faithful every time you have a chance. You should be in the house of God. I say a chance. I don't mean when you feel comfortable. I mean every time the doors are open. Amen. There should be a continuation. In the house of God. Then number four, chapter 31. Chapter 31. Are you still with me? Chapter 31. Sanctification. Reconciliation. Continuation in the house of God. And then lastly, in chapter 31, separation. Now notice this. He said, now when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also in Manasseh until they had, listen, they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, into their own cities. I'm convinced of this tonight. I'm convinced that when you love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, there will be no place for the world in your life. Are you hearing me tonight? I mention this a lot, but I think it's worthy of mentioning this world is not my home. And you know what, preacher, the older I get, the less it's my home. The more I feel uncomfortable here. You say, what are you saying, preacher? The, the more I walk down the street and I say, how can people behave like this? I, I, I hear our government say, there's not only Adam and Eve, but now it could be Adam and Steve. 
I hear now that a little boy can go to school one day and say, I'm a little boy, I want to shower in the boys' room, and go tomorrow and say, I want to be a little girl and shower in the girls' room. I just read where a woman, this is a true story, where a woman in California received a license from the government of California to marry her dog. It's a true story. That's how absurd. By the way, when you ignore God's order of things, and the next thing you have is homosexuality, sodomy, the next thing we'll see in America is it'll be all right for man-boy relationships. They're already pushing it all over the country. Come on. I'm telling you, we're in tough shape. Now, I'm going to say some things tonight, and it may lessen my offering. But I'm prepared to accept the risk. I was sitting in a preacher's home where I was preaching for revival. I was sitting in his home and he and his wife were getting ready and their little girl was sitting in the living room and she turned on the television and turned on one of those, I think, just nasty, nasty soap opera type things. It was like a kid's... You know, I don't know because I don't watch that stuff. I don't even know how to call it. But it was a sitcom, I guess. And there was all kinds of foul suggestions going on. I'm sitting over in the big chair and I'm watching this 10 or 11 year old girl laugh at the vulgarity of the show. Are you hearing me now? And I'm not judging the preacher and his wife. But I can tell you she didn't have any problem immediately finding that show. She wasn't at all worried about them coming back into the room. And I'm telling you, I believe that America has somehow we've decided that we can come to church and hear the word of God and sing amazing grace and go home and be just as vulgar as people around us. Now, stay with me. Are you are you just stay with me here? And I just ask you, if you get mad at me, don't throw a book at me. Come and see me afterwards. You can apologize, and you can take me out and and buy my dinner. I'll let you pay. There was a day when believers, one of the ladies said they had some people approach them today and say, you're Christians, aren't you? But I'll tell you, there was a day in America where there was a very distinct difference between how Christians looked and the world looked. I was preaching in a very well-known church in the Midwest. We went out to eat after the service. We're getting ready to sit down. And the preacher said, oh, 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 wait a minute. Here's Brother So-and-so. I want you to meet him. This is my associate pastor. He came in. I said, hello, brother. And he sat down with us. And just a few seconds later, he said, whoa, whoa. He said, let me introduce you to his daughter. Here she is. And the associate pastor's daughter walked into the restaurant, and I don't think I'm exaggerating that her dress was right here. Associate pastor's daughter. Now it's getting quiet. We bear a lot that we shouldn't bear today. I I say we, I don't bear it. You wouldn't want to see it. Amen. I preach in churches where it'd be uh, it'd be a lot more convenient if I had blindfold. I didn't have to look at what ladies reveal today. Come on, just I'm just talking about what I'm seeing. I've had guys come up to me and say, I just don't understand what's going on with this church. And I just don't, I think our pastor is really maybe not doing what he ought to do. And then right in the middle of it, they get so frustrated, they start cussing. I'm telling you the truth. Our speech ought to be different. Amen. Our actions ought to be different. I see fighting in churches today. I know a church in Ohio, and I can verify this. If you think I'm telling the story, you just see me privately, and I can put you on the website and show it to you, where they had uh, several years ago, the old pastor returned, and the young pastor that had taken over, they got in a big fight, and the whole church was having an all-out brawl and fist fight, and they had to bring in every police officer in that town to stop the fight. 
I've been in churches where people get up and yell and scream like someone in the world that is lost. We ought to be better than that. Somebody help me tonight. We, we ought to be better than that. We, we ought to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And it ought to affect the way we do business as, as Christians. I, I'm just telling you, I've some, some of the most ungodly and, and dishonest people I've met have been Christians. I've had two Christians personally rip me off when I had a work done at my house. One for $7,000 and another for a whole lot more than that. And because I was trying to do well or good, especially they to those of the household of God. You wonder why the world's looking at us saying you're a bunch of hypocrites? Now, I don't know what's in your heart, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything tonight, but I, I just have an idea that while I've been talking, the Holy Spirit's been going, you, that's you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you listening? There's something I'm saying to you tonight. I'm, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is telling people what needs to be done in your heart. I told you I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. My son came to me here about, I don't know, maybe three months ago. He said, Dad, have you planned your funeral? <laughs> the pastor just went, well, that's exactly what I did. We were at the table and said, why are you asking that? You've already got everything you're going to get from me, boy. <laughs> no, no, no. He said, I just, he said, I just watch everybody, you know, people dying and they haven't planned anything and you know, and nobody knows where to bury him or how to pay for it or all that. So I just wondered if you'd plan. And I said, well, not really, but I'll write it out. And I have since I've written it out. And, and he said to me, he said, Dad, I want permission to do something. He said, I'd like to put on your headstone the quotation from the Boston Globe newspaper after you won the Christian school battle there in 1982. Had my picture and it said he's both a clergyman and a fighter. And I said, permission denied. He said, why, Dad? It's you. It's you. It's everything you are. And I said, no, son, I want you to listen to me very carefully. And I've put this now in my sermon plan for my funeral. I want you just to put on their center, saved by grace. So I'm not accusing you tonight. When my finger does this, my thumb comes back at me. And says, Bruce Turner, there's more you could do. But I want to say to you tonight, some of us have gotten too cozy with the world. We dress like them. We talk like them. We hate like them. We're jealous like them. We gossip like them. God help us. Facebook and Email and Twitter, and there's so many ways to just destroy people today. I was in a church in Nebraska, and on my way home, I saw some of the people that had been in the revival meeting attacking their pastor on Facebook. I dropped them like a hot potato. They called me up, why did you unfriend us? I said, I saw your ungodly posts, and I'm ashamed to even say I'm a friend of yours. Well, you've been a friend of ours for 15 years, I said, that's exactly right. And I reserve the right to say to my friends, I will not tolerate that kind of behavior. Amen? Amen. Young people, what do you watch on the television? What do you think in private? Mm-hmm. Are you all still with me here? Yes, <laughs> Am I an enemy? This illustration, and I'm done. It was in this part of the country. A preacher called me. He said, Preacher, we, we've had a men's conference up here. And he said, We dealt with men into the wee hours of the morning. Sins in these guys' lives. He said, Brother Turner, that included pastors. And he said, Brother Turner, I'm sorry to tell you, but... The main sin we dealt with throughout those wee hours of the night was pornography. I had a preacher call me maybe six months ago. Tears 
were flowing. And he said to me, Brother Turner, I just hired two young men from a very well-known Bible college. If I mention the name, everybody didn't know it. He said, I've just had these boys a short time, and already i caught both of them on the church computers looking at pornography. What's wrong with us? The Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. The Bible says, listen, don't even allow the appearance of evil to have any place in your life. Amen? The Bible says, give no place to the devil. I think this is the problem, and I'm finished. I think that many of us have gotten saved, but just like Hebrews 6, we need to make a commitment to go on unto perfection. We need to make a commitment to go on unto maturity. On July the 27th, 1969, I'd been saved since I was a six-year-old boy. But God spoke, Brother Caleb, to my heart and said, I want more than just your soul. I went to the altar after listening to the message that night. And I went to the altar and I said, Lord, tonight, I know I'm saved and that I'll never have as great an experience in my life as my salvation. But I believe tonight that I want to just say to you, whatever I am and whatever I have, I give to you. That's sanctification unto the Lord. I started a journey of reading the Bible and praying and doing what God says in His Word. And that journey has caused me to say, I do not want the things of the world. I'm saying, don't start on that side. Start on sanctification unto God. Start loving on God. And as you grow in grace, I promise you, you'll be able to put off the wicked things mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. Amen? And so, sanctification unto God. Amen. Amen. Reconciliation to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure tonight that if you don't know anything else, you know for sure that you have been brought back to Jesus through the blood of the cross. And you put your faith there. That's the beginning place. Amen. Continuation in the house of God. Serving God faithfully. Where God placed us. I know it was different in the Old Testament. The church is the place today. Amen. The church is the place today. And separation from this old ungodly world. You say, I just don't know if I can do it. Well, I think you can. I was just a little old introverted kid going to high school with a bunch of wicked kids. But there wasn't a day in my high school life I didn't walk up the halls with my books and on top of my Bible. I remember the times I was called names. I remember the times they tripped me and I fell on the ground. But I made up my mind this world was not my home. Listen, revival has to break down some things. Has to break down some things. Read Jeremiah 1. Has to break down some things. Root out some things out of our life. And by rooting those things out, we can be more intimate with Jesus Christ. Amen?